si escuchan que hay gente... Welcome everyone, you're listening to Daniel on the D-Report. Today we'll get an opportunity to speak with co-founders of Cultivo Nepantla. Cultivo Nepantla is a project supporting the cultivation of a sustainable future, applying research on edible and medicinal mushrooms. Susie and Alfonso join us from Quintana Roo, Cancun in southern Mexico. Before we begin the conversation, can you both tell us a little bit about yourself? Bueno, hola, buenos, uh, pues buenos días, buenas tardes. Uh, my name is Alfonso Enrique Valenzuela. I was born in Mexicali, but I grew up in Southern California, in the Imperial Valley, and then in Riverside County. Got my bachelor's from, criminal, uh, from Cal State San Bernardino in criminal justice, and my master's in social work from USC. Um, before we came out here in Cancun about five years ago. Uh, I'm Susie, I'm a UCR alum. Um, I got my bachelor's there in Chicano Studies, and then I went on to teach. I got my teaching credential up at Davis, and so before we came out here, I was teaching high school down in San Diego. And that was five years ago when we yeah. decided to make a big move and came out here to Cancun, get a change in perspective and change in scenery. Well, first of all, I want to thank you both for sharing your time to talk about your project and your experiences. And I'd like to begin there. Um, in hearing your introductions, you have the bulk of your preparation here in the U.S., yet currently you find yourself in southern Mexico. Tell us a little bit about that process. <laughs> <laughs> for me personally, I feel like... Um, it has been a journey from day one from, I mean, from being a little kid, you know, growing up, I mean, being born in Mexico and then coming into the U.S. and then seeing how, you know, different life experiences make you think about like how you fit in, right? And if we fast forward, um, we get to a point where I follow all the steps that we're supposed to follow, right? Go to school, get good grades, do this, that, and the other, buy a house. And then you get there and you're like, now what? Like, que sigue, right? And I feel like because of some life experiences, it forced myself or us, if I could speak for, for Susie as well, those here, to really look deeper of like, who are we? Like, where do we come from? Like, what are we supposed to do here? So much more than just following this, this pattern, right? To, to, to succeed, quote unquote. So um, that's how it all started, at least for me. It started exploring, like, de donde vienen nuestras raíces? What is the knowledge that is already there in plain sight, but that we're not getting, right? So that, at least that's, that's how it started for me. And then just kind of started unraveling from there. Um, I think similarly, um, I mean, I was a Chicano studies major, so I think I've grappled with this question forever. <laughs> um, 
And then I think teaching a few years of high school was a very profound experience that also made me realize how little agency I had within that system. So I felt like for me, I, it was time to kind of take a break from that, from that, from the professional side and just take some time to have some more meaningful life experiences. And uh, it was, it was quite a challenge, I think, with our family, getting them to understand, like, I think some of our older family members kind of felt like, well, we, we made this sacrifice leaving Mexico to come to the States and you guys are kind of throwing it away. <laughs> so it's been, you know, we, we have to work to demonstrate, you know, what it is that we're doing over here and get them to see, you know, it's, it's all the same journey. You know, these, these borders after all are artificial and, and if they weren't there, our movement would be a lot more free flowing. So. I appreciate that context that both of you offer that uh, you're guided by these questions that are profound and maybe not as sh often shared with one another. But I do believe that most of us are going through those questions, at least at one point in our life, you know, like, mm -hmm. what am I doing here? Or is this all there is? But it's also interesting to consider the politics of that question. Uh, because you brought in something about, yeah, just being aware about, about the border as something that we contend with. Like the question itself is something that I feel is very human and probably not just very human, but that, that we've had that question in, in multiple generations into the past. So I, I, I talked to my friends about like thinking about like myself and then I think about my grandparents and like, did they have the same questions? Did my grandparents' grandparents have the same questions? And some of them, I'm pretty sure they didn't because they, they didn't have to contend with the current political climate, but some I, I feel they did. So that like, am I doing things right as a father? I, I wanna believe my, my great, great, great grandfather had that question too. And I, and I feel this connection with what you're, um, sharing this idea that um, there you are or here you are now in in this place of moving through the territories and then our family members are a little bit I'm not confused I don't want to speak for them but but it it activates <laughs> a question right they're like why are you doing this right because I remember being um yeah around 18 and and it's funny Susie that you bring up UC Davis so when I was in high school, that's the school that I wanted to go to. And eventually I did go there, but I didn't get accepted off the bat. So then my family in Mexico was like, just come down here and study. You know, you want to go to college. UNAM is right there. Well, you know, apply. And you... I, I played for all summer with that concept. Am I going? And I couldn't get myself to it because it was so disruptive. And now looking back, I talked to my daughter about that. Like I could have gone. I would have had a whole different life. And I don't judge one worse or the other. I just know it would have been different. But mm -hmm. I'm, I'm so encouraged by that possibility. And I hear you two did it. And I can only imagine your parents and family members looking at you all confused. Like, what are you <laughs> doing? Everyone's going up north and you're going down south. So I just wanted to echo some of the conversations that, that are interesting to me because of the question of agency that I think all of us are wrestling with this idea of, of how much control do we have over our lives? And I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about 
that process a little bit more about how was that transition? How were some of the things that you were able to carry as assets that you already developed up here? And were there any things that just didn't work at all as you started building your, your new life or your new community over there? Well, I think for me, it's, it was definitely a culture shock to know that my education didn't really mean anything over here <laughs> or any of the experiences that I had. The level of machismo that I encountered, like in the workplace, um, that was a shock too. So, but then also it led to something really beautiful for us because now I get to stay at home. I decided not to go back to that workplace. So I decided to stay home and then now I'm able to be a stay at home mom, which I think would have been a lot harder had we had our daughter in the States to be able to afford that kind of life. So it's been kind of a process of reconstructing my identity and what it means to be Mexican American in Mexico. I feel like for me, one of the things as we entered into this transition is the, or one of the things that I continue to hear from our spiritual guides, I guess I could say, is be humble. You know, like what you have done or you think you have done, like in reality, if you, like that concept of what have you done for me lately, how are you contributing to the system and the environment you're currently in, that's more what you should or I should be focusing on, that's what I continue to hear, as opposed to resting on my laurels of, hey, I, I was also in the Marine Corps Reserve and I was in Iraq in 2005 and I was able to education and this and the other work in the community and so forth and so forth. But being able to take all that and have the conversations with our friends and family about how that was just preparation for the work we're about to do ahead, right? Like, it wasn't the work that I was doing. Like, the time I spent in the Marine Corps, the sleepless nights, the high-stress environment, going into a combat situation, it's just preparation for the time we're living in now, right? Um, that wasn't the end goal. That wasn't, like, what I came to do, right? Um, same thing with, yeah, my other interactions with the community back at home. So. In the transition out here is being able to package all that together and say, look, I was preparing for this, for all the things that have back at home, but here, when we get here, it's getting here and saying, I have done nothing. Like, I'll start from zero. And that's what I did. I mean, I started here in Cancun, since I didn't know the culture, we had to learn it. I started selling tours of in the, in, in, in the side, in the hallways of the mall. Hey, hey, where are you guys going? You I mean, like just getting people to stop and they see you as like, like nothing, you know, like they, they just tell you get away from me. Like, and being able to take all that in and say like, yeah, like this is an experience I need to have in order to be able to grow into what I want to get to, you know. It's encouraging to have you express this thing that I think a lot of us struggle with, which is, the assessment of our lives as never really getting where we wanted to be. So that like, we always reflect back. You're like five years ago, this is not where I was supposed to be. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it throws us off, right? 
<laughs> but I, I just want to, I just want to say that the way both of you speak is very encouraging uh, because it, it settles some questions for me. Uh, I really appreciated the way that you said this reflection of everything you've done in the past is preparation for the present. And the way that I took your words, I took it broader um, because I thought like that can apply anywhere. So that like, right, whatever I'm doing right now is preparation for five years into the future. Correct. That helps me a lot to think about like, well, maybe we shouldn't beat ourselves up that much because we can learn a little bit about this. So, and I also am, I don't know, it's really, I'm connecting a lot with your stories because like I was that person years ago. So when I was, I was a little kid, you know, my family would travel to Mexico back and forth and I was like 12 or 13 and I had family in Acapulco who used to sell in the tourist and in, in, uh, uh, like that boardwalk area. And I would go hang out with them for the day and they had a little store and I'm being able to speak to all the tourists in full English. And my tias would be like, just stay here for the summer. You're going to help me run the, the little business here. And I was like, yeah, I'm because I, I felt like cool for a minute. I was like, wow, like I have an asset here that over there in the U.S. I knew was a value but I, it, did, it wasn't really given to me because over here in the U.S., everyone speaks English. Everyone who's brown is supposed to speak English. And if you don't, <laughs> you get beat up or you get made fun of. But over there, it was this weird thing where the tourists are like, why is this kid? You know, and I would go even deeper. Sometimes I went up in the Costa Chica, small little mercado. And these tourists, like, you know, surfer dudes would pass by and they would want a huarache because my tía had a huaracheria. And I'm like helping them out in full English and their eyes would be like, why is this kid in this place talking like that? And sure enough, like most of the time I would just play it off. Like, hey, I just learned it from TV because I thought it'd be funny. <laughs> and they were just enamored. But what I want to give credit or I want to identify is something that you mentioned, this idea that like, I always dreamed or thought like, hey, this is how it would be, but I see you too and you did it. You're there. And one of the questions or the things that I would like to hear about is that like um, these projects, like you mentioned that like when you went there, uh, Susie, a lot of the things that you had built here um, didn't translate, but yet you also found new opportunities that you wouldn't have been able to get here. And then Alfonso, you mentioned also this question of like, well, I'm, I got there and I'm working immediately trying to find my place. Um, and also, you know, giving credit to not having to abandon everything that you have experienced before. In fact, those were like preparations for that period. And then you, from what I understand, you started working in the tourist industry. That was a space that you found, you know, as like, I can do work here. Where did that take you and where, and where is it now? Or where are you in your direction now? <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> uh, well, here in Cancun, I mean, I, I don't know the exact statistics, but I mean, I, tourism is, 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 is what dominates the, the economy here. Um, and if you want to essentially build anything, you have to go through the tourist, in, the tourist industry, right? Um, I me di cuenta de eso rapidito, like I, I noticed that quickly. So in conjunction with working my way into that system, I was we were also thinking of like, how can we create something that 
goes parallel to this that not, not only is in a sense milks the system, but puts something back in, right? Like how can, so this is something that as soon as we got here, we started realizing there's already small little pockets of people working to maintain the jewel that is Cancun in its, you know, in, in its, in todo su esplendor, but there's not enough effort. So we were already thinking about this, but we knew that we had to work in the hotel industry, tourism, and I, I started selling tours out in the street and they saw that I had a good ability of stopping people and creating conversations, right? So they sent me to the airport. They're like, hey, people that make money, that's where they're at, the airport, because there's masses of people coming into the airport. But that, that the airport's like, it's like a shark tank, man. Like, <laughs> it's like people just trying to, you know. But anyway, I, I, I couldn't live in that environment for too long. I was there for about nine, 10 months when I said, okay, this is enough of a school. I need to get out of here. And then I positioned myself with, uh, with a company, an American company, and very, very transparent the way they do business. And I worked there for three years. I started as a concierge there, just, I mean, making reservations for people, like tours, restaurants, things like that. And now the last year, um, I went into their sales department. So selling vacation ownership, right? And um, very proud of that. And actually it's the system that I was working in, but then COVID hit. <laughs> and sure enough, I mean, it brought Cancun to its knees, just like the rest of the world. And so we saw this, uh, at first, just like everybody else, like, oh my goodness, you know, like the sky is falling. And and after we took a couple breaths, we we're like, you know what, this is an opportunity, like an opportunity to start something new. And uh, so we said, why not? This is a project that we had in mind already for the last probably good 18 months at least. And, uh, but we did not want to take it on because of the amount of work that it would require, the amount of resources it would require. And since I was essentially working full time, I felt like I couldn't divide my attention, whatever I was. I mean, this last year that I worked in sales is the first time I did sales, right? But in the first year I was there, I got salesmen of the quarter, the first quarter I was there, and I got salesmen of the year the first year that I was there. And with the same type of energy that we're doing any, everything, being very transparent and saying, look, this is what we're trying to do and what we're trying to accomplish. But with everything that's going on, we said, well, what better time than 2020, right? So tell us a little bit more about this uh, project, this new opportunity, what is it? So we had the name for the project way before the project came to be. Um, I first came across this term Nepantla in uh, one of Professor Macias's classes at UCR. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. Um, and then I found it again with Gloria Saldúa. So this idea, right, of being kind of occupying the space in between. And I really just connected with the term and creating a bridge with people and with knowledge and community. So we had the name and we didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, then we've also been learning a lot about mushrooms the last couple of years, and we thought it was a perfect time. And the name I feel really embodies the project because that's, that's this moment in time that we're all occupying collectively, right? This transition moment where we don't really know what's going on. We don't know where we're going. 
but it's also, I think, the space that the mushroom occupies. So in working with the mushroom, that it's this organism that's really overlooked, um, but it connects our world in endless just ways. endless ways. Um, and it's a, it really is a bridge between life and death in the natural world. It takes organic matter that is decomposed and turns it into food for us and um, other animals. So, so that's why we feel that this name really encapsulates that. And so since there are no mushroom farms in Cancun, we wanted to bring the first one here, but with a really heavy element of educating. So as we're learning, um, bringing in anyone that is willing to learn and wants to learn along for the ride and really join the efforts of other people here in Mexico that are just trying to do things differently, working with a circular economy, trying to reduce waste, um, trying to get people to see the advantages and, and really the beauty of buying locally and knowing the person that produces your goods. And that's all aside from the practical mycology of it, but that kind of encapsulates the, the project in itself a little bit. That seems really exciting. I think there yeah. is something there about what you both have identified. Uh, COVID-19 has really altered, uh, yeah, I would say everyone. I think there's very few of us that are walking around saying I haven't been affected. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, at least here in the U.S., we've been struggling with, with this, what is the default position? Are we, are we going to shut down? Are we going to open up? And I think that tension has really kind of messed us up because we're fighting each other right now as these opposing forces, which I don't think really is accurate. As I heard you, COVID-19 definitely altered the economy altered the opportunities that you had there as limitations but both of you stated like it was also an opportunity to build so just as some people saw something closing you two saw something opening and and you're building something you're making something and that's yeah. really encouraging because it feels that that's the type of energy that we can all learn from we can see the same thing here even though most of us are sequestered you know quarantined sheltered in place and we're seeing ourselves going like, what can I do? Everything is like shutting down for me. But I'm, I'm motivated by this conversation of thinking about how this moment creates opportunities and the opportunities that you are, are bringing forward are actually very radical or significant. I'm trying to think of the right word because the moment is asking for new. And right. that's what I heard you bring forward. Like, Hey, we, we could just do what is here, but then there's also a room to acknowledge the strength and beauty of the location you find yourself in, the people, the community, and think about like, what can we do that is powerful? What can we build? And this question of circular economy, localized uh, work efforts, community building, and then something that I would love to hear more about if you can share is the mushroom. You know, most of us think about the mushroom. If you like salads, it's in your salad. If you don't, you pick it off your pizza, but you don't think much about it. And I heard you say something very significant. Your take on the mushroom as an organism that connects us all. 
that has a very significant and powerful place in the ecosystem. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, el hongo, el, <laughs> tú eres el hongo, yo sé el hongo, we have a lot of the, the uh, mushroom farmers and the people that are, that are learning on this path. Um, they discuss, and you're absolutely right, uh, most of us, we think of mushrooms and we think of like on the pizza or portobellos, right, or, you know, hallucinogens, right, and that's pretty much the extent of it all. Um, when in fact, there's, there's so much more. Um, the mushroom really is the beginning and the end. I mean, when there is no organic matter for life forms to build, the mushroom comes and breaks down rock, breaks down any material to create soil for plants, uh, spores uh, to come and germinate and then create uh, plant life. Um, the, what we're trying to do now is expand the, the consciousness of our community of how these organisms are, I mean, they're super, super intelligent and there's so much we could learn from it. They, they, they pretty much take every little last speck of resources and use it and utilize it. And it's just a matter of, of perspective, if seeing things in a way that we could continue to, to have it be a part of the system as opposed to separating, right? Uh, it's that inclusion. And I feel like uh, to a degree, that's what we're taught when we're growing up. It's kind of like divide, divide with the borders, the, oh, my school, I went to this school. And, and inadvertently we get like, which is good to have that pride. Uh, I was hearing one of, one of your talks about like how groups, right? Who has the right to include or exclude and, so that was one of the things that like, growing up, like I was very put off by like, I felt like I could identify it, but then I didn't meet the requirements, right? Like, and the mushroom, like, doesn't matter where you are, there's mushrooms, there's, there's fungus connecting everything. The, the mushroom is who's, is the mechanism that is in, in charge of making sure that in the jungles and the forest, everything is balanced. It's what's, it's the, it's the underground internet that says, you know what, we have these many pines, we have these many ferns, we have these many plants, and it keeps track of the ecosystem to maintain balance and resources and the soil and so forth and so forth. When there's certain trees that go through uh, periods where they don't get uh, nutrients, then the mycelium underground connects it to other trees that have nutrients and they share the resources, right? Like, it's not like, you plant a tree and they're like, it's just, I'm going to get all the resources for me, right? It, there's this whole other world that I feel like most of us are unaware of. And we feel it. And I feel like um, it's a perfect opportunity to bring it to the table and let's start a conversation. Like maybe we're looking at things and it inspires somebody else to look at something else and we build off of each other. Um, Alfonso mentioned the word mycelium. So the uh, mushroom <laughs> that we eat is the fruit of the mushroom or well, the fruit, but the body of the mushroom is actually underground and it that's the network. It's the mycelium. It spreads one cell at a time in these enormous networks of threads. And that's how they're able to share nutrients with other plants and trees and communicate with them. Um, but the mycelium itself is this incredible organism it resembles like the neuron pathways in our brain and resembles, you know, just everything in nature, you know, like the 
our lungs, our arteries. Um, so it's this really beautiful thing. And for me, it's important for what it does, you know, physically, but also symbolically how we are, how we can use this moment to really network with other people that share our ideas and our desires to move in a different direction. And if I could segue here into why mycelium is so amazing <laughs> right now, what we want to do with this project is take things that are seen as waste and turn that into food. So currently Alfonso um, is working with mycelium to break down cardboard. And then from there we should get mushrooms as well. And then once that is all spent, it can go into compost to continue its work with the soil. Um, and we're also working with some of the, like we've, we've found piles and piles of mulch um, that are the byproduct of all the construction going on here. And so it's organic matter that's been sitting in piles for a while. And if it's left there too long, it becomes toxic. So that's why we thought to take this process, to turn it into food, um, and then continue to use it and just put it back in the, in the ecosystem. Yeah, and that could be a, that could be done anywhere. I mean, here it's very abundant because we're in the jungle. But essentially, this process could be replicated anywhere in the world. I mean, from the cardboard that is being spent in the home to coffee to um, I mean, pretty much it like paper. Uh, there's a hundred and million and one applications that you could that you could use. We're just running different experiments with different types of. I guess organic waste that is found here around the city, like when they come and, and mow down the trees and they leave all that piled in like the corners. And they sometimes it sits there for for weeks on end, right? And so we're thinking if we could create a formula where we could transform all that material that is seen as waste and show it to the community and say, look, if you do this, this, and this, if you get this, maybe we would and we would have intrinsic motivation from the community to say, hey, if I pick up that waste and I process it, I could get money from it. You know? So we would have to show that it's something viable and it's something that is sustainable and that it does produce in order for others to be like, hey, you know what? I want to do that too. And then the byproduct would be the environment, right? While injecting resources into the community with more nutrition and so forth, education, innovation. That's a big overarching. Yeah, overarching. I want to return to the way that you reference the circular economy, but I also um, want to highlight the way that. So my background is in anthropology. That's my last degree. Okay. Well, actually, not it's the second to the last degree. Uh, but uh, <laughs> when I think about economy, I always think about how, like in the United States, we think about well, not just the United States, but we just think about like currency, but the economic pattern in a human-centered uh, analysis is simply resources. And it's the pattern of how resources are manufactured, modified, distributed, and consumed. It's only an analysis of how things are moved in our community, the rules right. of it. So when you said a circular economy, and I heard you speak, I, I, I'm writing down my notes thinking like, it seems that it's, all, it's not just a circular economy in the way the currency is moving, but the way that the material resources, as you identified, that if they're from that same local tree, it will be put back into the same local community in a different format. 
Um, and though that seems radical, innovative, um, transformative for many people because we've been so accustomed that everything is from far away, yeah. I think that is the most default way that ecosystems work. Because right. ecosystems, a healthy ecosystem, <clears throat> I, I would imagine, is, is easier to access the things that the, lo the more local it is, the stronger right. and the safer and the, all its different factors can be strengthened. And, and I hear your conversation in that. So when you think about Cultivo Nipantla, is, is this a project that you're thinking about building, I don't know, like as an, as an organization? Is it, because I'm trying to think about, I'm stumbling through the conversation because I, I, I don't know how it would look like. So maybe that's the question. How, how would you see this looking when it's in practice? Or is it already in practice? Um, well, we're very, we're very much in the initial stages. I mean, we've only been working on this for a couple of months, but we've gotten a lot of support and it's, it's grown really beautifully. Alfonso has been connecting with other mushroom cultivators from Chile and Argentina and Australia online. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so I think what we have in mind is to have kind of um, like the mushroom growing aspect of it and all that comes with it, right? Processing the waste into food and then learning about the nutrition aspect of it, as well as being in constant education ourselves and sharing that with everyone. Because, and I apologize if it's kind of getting all over the place, but I think what excites us is the possibilities of the application. So currently we're only looking at um, using our local waste to turn it into food. But there's efforts around the world to use mushroom mycelium uh, for water filtration, for soil remediation, cleaning up even oil spills, um, break down plastic. Um, so the applications of it are really just endless. So I think our challenge is to kind of focus it and, and narrow it down to something that's manageable <laughs> and then kind of just grow as we go. Yeah, I, I feel like the, the mushroom itself will guide us as we grow into our environment. We initially started this, pro, this project with the intention of staying in the house we are currently renting. And uh, because we had a verbal agreement with the owner to buy the house and turn it into an urban mushroom farm right in the middle of the city. And about a couple weeks later, the owner calls us back and we, or we contacted the owner and he's like, good thing he called me because I talked to my kids and they don't want to stay. So, and we're like, now what, right? Because we have to invest all of these resources into the home to make it into a farm, right? To make a lab and so forth and so forth. So we kind of had to take a step back and now reevaluate what we're going to do because now we're probably not going to operate from the center of the city, but we feel like since we have the opportunity to relocate and we're going to look for something that's going to be a little bit more manageable as far as resources are concerned. Uh, we won't be right right in the middle of the city um, but our intention is still to continue to collaborate with the groups of people that are doing things to beautify the city and to keep the city of Cancun clean right for example our next door neighbor she's very very involved in recycling and creating eco bricks and 
uh, building eco houses and things like that. And she's very active in the community. So that's the type of people we want to continue to stay in touch with. For now, we do want to drive more the uh, growing and selling of the mushrooms so people are aware that you could eat them. Because <laughs> right now on, on our social media pages, people are like, wow, those are really pretty. What are they? And what are you doing? Like people still don't understand what it is, even though on a social media page, all we're trying to do is show you what they are. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but there's so much material and there's so much, so much information, especially if you've never paid attention to this world before, that it can be really overwhelming. So what we're trying to do now is just create a platform for knowledge and see where it goes from there. Well, tell us a little bit more about this campaign um, to share your project. So we started off with a crowdfunding campaign with a company that really promotes um, projects with a cause. Um, when we had the situation with the house, we kind of had to readjust. So we moved on to just fundraising with PayPal and uh, anyone can donate to us at paypal.me slash Nefantla. Um, so with that, we're looking at the lab equipment that we need to buy um, to streamline the process. Because as Alfonso mentioned, we're doing kind of experiments to see what materials work and what doesn't. The cardboard currently seems to be working, but it could take a turn. We don't know. <laughs> Most of the cardboard is the wood yeah. chips. Um, so, but like we said, I mean, this whole thing is about creating this process and mainstreaming it and getting it down pat. So then we can concentrate on sharing this knowledge with everyone else and pass it on to someone else that wants to grow mushrooms or someone who has a different idea and be able to really be an integral part of the, the community here. It seems something that a lot of people can kind of understand because I feel that this year in particular, right before COVID-19, the momentum to support a much more sustainable economy, a much more healthier environment was different than previous versions. Because I, I mean, I grew up with that conversation. I, I don't, yeah, I don't remember ever being in the United States where like recycling wasn't a thing. Or like, you know, hey, take care of the environment. Um, your water should be clean. Like that seems to be something that we were already as default. But this past year in particular, I felt that we were moving towards something that I I got a sense was a different energy, a much more immediate. Yeah. Uh, there was a sense of urgency and also a very beautiful sense of possibility, as you mentioned both. Mm -hmm. And then we got hit with COVID-19 and everything. It was like, boom, it shut down. But in that shutdown, I feel as you're speaking that you two were still working and, I, and are still working. Yeah, like almost like the shutdown isn't really a shutdown. Maybe the streets are a little bit less crowded. But as you mentioned, your neighbor, people are still working in their homes. There's, because I, I feel now more about this analysis that says COVID-19 transformed how we look but it cannot transform what we care about and what we're going to want to build so right. that um cultivo nepantla seems to be this kind of like working project and it's encouraging to think about just that 
one, you have already like these expansive networks of communication. You mentioned all the way to Chile, but locally do you have support? And then I, I want to think about just how, how, how can we support, you know, cause I, I'm, I'm here, you know, having this conversation, but how can people support? You mentioned the, uh, there's a, a place to donate, but how would you express that, that campaign to reach out for more people to support? If I may, I feel like the support actually comes from doing, getting a little bit more invested in, in, into learning about it and how these concepts uh, of, of mycology, of mushrooms, of mycelium, how these actually are a part of your life you know maybe we don't know it yet but i mean i feel like and then um having that conversation within our platform i mean the the resources and the monetary support yeah i mean that helps but i feel like that that's not why we're doing this what we're doing why we're doing this is we want to create a network a platform where people say you know what i have a question about this most platforms um especially in, in mushrooms they could be a little intimidating Right. Uh, when you go in there and they start talking about all these technical terms and like this biology and microbiology. And so it's, it's a little intimidating for, for people to, to engage. Right. So what we want to do is create more user friendly platforms where como que los tíos y las tías pueden preguntar, you know, and the primos is like, hey, how do you do that? So I feel like that's where the support comes in, like, like following the, the journey along engagement and kind of saying oh wow like what is that or you know like when we get that sort of engagement it also like gets us on our toes of like oh i need to learn more about this because they're going to ask me and i know that i need to be doing it but i don't know why right so uh and, and so forth and um so that's that's how i feel like we would receive the most amount of support the 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 remote interactions and the saying hey you know what i learned today or you know and, at least for me, I feel like that's what like I'm like, oh man, like, I need to post something else to like, get that mind going and connect and, and trigger that that critical thinking. I would I would agree. I think the the support that we've had here, I mean it's it's been that, you know, it's been conversations about sustainability and the future economy, because that that's something that goes beyond borders and that we could start to dialogue that we should be dialoguing right now because after this year everything is going to be different and i think the more of us are doing something to prepare for that and, and thinking about that future and what that's going to look like well, we all benefit from it we have a we have a three-year-old too you know just like you have your little one and so for us it's you know it's and for, I guess for me, it's like getting, translating that message to everyone else. Like I got a daughter that I'm, I want her to have a future and I want her to be able to, you know, to thrive in it. Um, so having those conversations and engaging, I think, yeah, I think that's ultimately that's, that's what we really want. Well, I want to thank Susie and Alfonso, both of you for sharing this conversation with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. You have just finished hearing a conversation with Susie and Alfonso, co-founders of Cultivo Nepantla. They share the transition moving from the United States 
to Mexico, learning to let go of certain things in order to carry other assets from one location to the other, in order to build new opportunities, new projects. They share with us details of Cultivo Lepantla, a project that seeks to contribute to the building of a sustainable future, strengthening local economies, building communities of knowledge and resources to strengthen those that want to participate. Through research and application of edible and medicinal mushrooms. For more information regarding Cultivo Nepantla, as well as finding ways to support and participate, you can find them on Facebook at Cultivo Nepantla. You've been listening to Daniel here on The D Report. Please feel free to send me your thoughts, questions, any feedback you may want to share to the following email comments at dreport.org. You can also go to dreport.org to check out past segments. Thank you. Stay safe. Stay strong. Join us again next week.